probably more excited than they are to hear me preach. So that's, that's good. That's good. All right. Hey, before we dismiss you, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon your teachers and for the, junior, for the children's church program and Waterway 2-5, okay? I'll pray for you guys too, that you guys would be good listeners as well. God, thank you so much for this blessing that's in front of us here, these boys and girls. Lord, thank you so much for the blessing they are to their families and to us here at Waterway Church. And God, right now, I pray for their teachers. I pray, Father, that they would be able to clearly teach the truth of the Bible. And Lord, I pray for these boys and girls that, God, their ears would be open, that they would be able to hear what the teachers are saying, and, God, it would help them in their faith to know you better, to love you more. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Have a good time in class. I received an email this week that was offering processed pork and salt in a gelatin, and I decided not to open it because I knew it was spam. Absolutely. And as I was walking around my yard this week on one of the warmer days, I realized that somebody's been putting soil on my garden. And now the plot thickens. It's like, it's getting... All right, I have one more. Um... <laughs> see, I want to know how much you guys are listening. See, that's why. That's why. Well, this week we had some people working upstairs on the second floor, polishing off the concrete floor, and we ordered pizza for everybody. And you know what? I found out that nothing tops a plain pizza. Right? All right, some of you are still processing that. That I read in a book by Tony Evans. This is a story that Tony Evans has told. It says, one day a man was on his way to spend a day with a good friend of his who lived on a farm. When the man reached the farm, he turned into the long, winding lane back to the farmhouse. On the way, he had to pass an old shed. But as he drove by the old shed, he stopped and got out because he saw something that both amazed him and stupefied him. Drawn on the side of the shed were 20 targets. Each target had a hole right through the middle of the bullseye. There weren't any other holes anywhere on the shed. Whoever had been using the shed for target practice was definitely a crack shot. The visitor couldn't believe it. He got back in his car and drove up to his friend's farmhouse and said, John, before we do anything else, I've got to ask you, who in the world 
did the shooting on the side of your shed? John said, oh, that was me. His friend replied, I can't believe anybody can shoot that well. We're talking about 20 targets with 20 dead center bullseye shots. You mean to tell me you did that? John said, made every one. Where in the world did you learn to shoot like that? John's friend asked. It was easy. I shot first, then I drew the target around the bullet hole. (laughs) But you know something? That story illustrates our society today. Because people say, this is the truth. And they draw a, a target around that bullseye hole trying to convince everybody else that is truth. I received a number of emails that at the bottom, after their name, they they list a number of pronouns they want to be called. So I was thinking that after my name, I'm going to put a couple of names that I'd like to be called too, like awesome and outstanding Wonderful and marvelous. I guess you're not buying that, are you? Okay, let me go on. Well, in Acts chapter 11, in Acts chapter 11, there were a group of people that were given a name. We're going to take a look at that. Acts chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there. And if you don't have your Bible, there's maybe one in the seats in front of you. But in Acts chapter 11, take a look at um, a name that was given to a group of people. So Acts chapter 11, now try to get the whole story here. Let's start at verse 19, all right? Now those who have been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw What the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Let me pause there. Here's a map. Now, Barnabas was... Um, in Jerusalem, and he was going up to Antioch, but he decided, hey, I need to go to Tarsus and get Saul. So, you know, that's a 450-mile trip. That's a long way to go to get to Tarsus to find Saul. 
And, you know, as I was working through this this week, it's like, well, why was Saul in Tarsus? I mean, this was after he was converted. Why, why was he up in Tarsus? I mean, that was his hometown after all, but why, why was he back there in Tarsus? Well, we need to go back a few chapters to chapter 9, Acts chapter 9. We, we find that, let's go to the next map, we find that Saul was in Jerusalem, Stephen was killed, the people were scattered because of the persecution, and so Paul was on his way to Damascus. And as you know the story, when he was on his way to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him, Paul or Saul got converted, and he went into Damascus, and he spent a few days there. We find that in verses 19 to 22 in Acts 9. And so, Paul spent some time in there. Um, Ananias was sent to Paul so that um, he could lay his hands on him because Paul had scales on his eyes uh, because of that encounter with Jesus. And so Ananias talked to him. The scales fell from his eyes. And Paul spent a few days there in Damascus. And uh, an interesting side note, in Galatians chapter 1, verses uh, 17 and 18, Paul said that he spent three years in Arabia. Now, not much is said about that, but you see that little loop um, up there by Damascus. Uh, he spent three years in Arabia. And I think that after Paul was converted, he was in Damascus. He spent a few days there with Ananias and some of the disciples. And then he went into Arabia for three years. And that's where I think that uh, Jesus taught Paul because he says in Galatians 1, I was not taught by mere humans. And I think that's where Paul and Jesus spent three years and that's how Paul got his doctrine and got his theology. Not from any teacher, but from Jesus himself. And then... Paul goes back to Damascus. They try to kill him there. And then he escapes through the wall at nighttime, being let down in a basket. After that, he goes to Jerusalem. And in uh, Acts 9.26, he is in Jerusalem. He is there meeting with the disciples for 15 days. And again, there were some people who tried to kill him. And at that point, some of the uh, disciples said, Paul, you got to get out of here. So they take him up to Caesarea, and then he goes back up to Tarsus. And so Paul is up in Tarsus because people have tried to kill him in Damascus. People have tried to kill him in Jerusalem, so he is back home. Now we're back in Acts 11. So in Acts 11, down in verse 26, when he found him, when Barnabas found Saul, or Paul, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Here's the key phrase. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And notice what it says. It says, the disciples... Now, this was not the 12 disciples because they were down in Jerusalem. The disciples, the people who were following the teachings of Jesus, 
the disciples were called Christians first there in Antioch. Now, I think it's important to know what the term Christian means. The term Christian actually means little Christ. In other words, if you were following the teachings of Jesus, you were like a clone of Jesus. And you were called Christian because you were following, you were a little Christ. You were acting just like Jesus acted. Unfortunately, today, the term Christian no longer means that. Today, um, Christian means anybody who you know, isn't a Muslim or isn't a Jew. The term Christian no longer has the idea of, I am a follower or I am a disciple of Jesus. It means that, well, you're just not one of these other groups. So in our small group that I meet with, we're looking at the term Christian. And uh, I think a better term for us to use instead of the term Christian because of the societal meeting is that we should call ourselves disciples or followers of Jesus because that better explains who we are. It better explains that we are following the teachings of Jesus. Colossians 1.13 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness when we were saved, when we trusted Christ as our Savior. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. This is crucial because The kingdom of God is then set up in our hearts so that he might direct us in in what we do. He might direct us in every aspect of our life. As a person in God's kingdom, then, there are certain expectations that set us apart from other people. God's kingdom is not limited by geography. In fact, if we pause for a moment and think about that. God, God's kingdom is broader than just the earth. Because if we look at um, Colossians, Colossians says that he is the creator and sustainer of all creation. His kingdom is not only on the earth, but his kingdom is is over all creation, which includes the whole universe. So God's kingdom is just not the earth. It is everything, the earth and the whole universe. Because he is sustaining it. He is helping every piece to accomplish his will. No matter what planet, no matter what's out there, he is accomplishing his purpose, his will in all of creation, not just here on earth. Thought that's a, so I was thinking about that. I thought, well, that's, that's an interesting piece. When we think, think about the kingdom of God, we think just earthly kingdom, just here, not the whole universe, but it's actually the whole universe. And God has a plan. God has a, an agenda for his kingdom as the ruler of his domain. The problem is, 
because we are Christians, we have the kingdom of God in our hearts, we live in the middle of Satan's domain and kingdom. That's the rub that we face. (laughs) Because Satan's kingdom is in direct opposition to God's kingdom. And every day we have to work work out living in Satan's kingdom. Because God's kingdom and God's expectations for us are totally different than Satan's kingdom and how his subjects act. In John 18... You're familiar with this story. In John 18, Jesus is standing before Pilate. And Pilate asks him, hey, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers Pilate in verse 36 of John 18. says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. My kingdom is not of this world. Now, Jesus is not saying my kingdom's not here. It is because we are here as Christians. Jesus is saying my kingdom is not of this world. It does not come from this world. It is derived from a wholly different realm. Because if my kingdom was of this world, my, my servants would be fighting. They would be doing things to prevent me from going to the cross. My servants would, would prevent me from being tortured by the, the Jewish leaders. Jesus, you know, that's, that's not my kingdom agenda. Because my kingdom is not from this world. His disciples would have been doing more than just cutting off ears, trust me. They'd be going to war if the kingdom of Jesus was of this world. But it's not. His kingdom is from heaven. And if we want to carry out God's kingdom agenda, we have to look at it from his perspective. We have to use his thinking and his methodology. It means that what we do is what God approves of. His kingdom is worked around his divine frame of reference. We have to adopt his methods to accomplish his goals. And those people in Antioch were doing just that because everybody else saw them living in such a way that they said, wow, these people are like little Christ, little Jesus. I mean, everything they're doing, it's reflecting what Jesus did. They are Christians. we go back to Acts 19 again, um, let's look at verses 1 to 9. 
verses 1 to 9 in Acts 19. Because not only were the people in Antioch living that way, but there were some others doing something else as well. And they were called another name. Verses 1, uh, when Apollos was at Carnith, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Look at verse 9. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. That was another name given to these group of people who believed in Jesus. They were called people of the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrrhenius. The early believers who followed Jesus were, were called the way. Because what did Jesus tell the people? Hey, this is how you live. This is the way that you are to conduct your life. And so these people were doing such an incredible job. They were called people of the way. In fact, six times in the book of Acts, we have followers being called people of the way. In Acts 24, I'll give you two more. In Acts 24, uh, verses 14 and verse 22, it says this, However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way. This was Paul speaking. In Acts 24, verse 14, he says, you know, yeah, I worship God because I am a follower of the way, which the people there would have known because they saw people who were living in such a way that they were following Jesus and they were a follower of the way of Jesus' teachings. He says, which they have called a sect, this people of the way, I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have that they would be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. In Acts 24, 22, Paul says, Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. Felix was a governor. He was a government official. But yet he was acquainted with how these people were living who called themselves people of the way. Being part of God's kingdom means that we live in, according, in accordance with his methods. Uh, 
and living in a way that is totally different from Satan's world, which is where we find ourselves. And that's the difficult part. Because as people who are disciples, people who are Christians, people who are trying to live according to God's standards in a world of Satan's kingdom and Satan's influence, it's going to be difficult and it's going to be tough. My question for you is, can, can people see that your life is different? Can people see that, yeah, you are a little Christ? Can people see that how you do things, how you view things is different than what the world is telling us? Living for the king sets us apart. Kingdom living means that, yeah, we do things differently. And you know what? People are not going to understand us. People are not going to be able to figure out why we do these things. What do you mean you love one another? Living for the king means that we don't make excuses for when we blow it. Or think that we can blow it and, you know what, the, the, the king's going to forgive us. No, living for the king means that we're going to give all of our desires, give all of our effort to live for him and not make excuses for when we blow it. Because, you know, sometimes it's easy to make excuses when we blow it or to think that, you know, well, if I do this, I'll be forgiven because God's a God of grace. God's a God of mercy. But, you know, if you are living for the king, that type of thinking doesn't even enter your mind. Donna's away this weekend. She is babysitting grandkids in Waynesboro. So you know what I got to do when I get home? Yep, clean up. I got to put my dishes away, put them in the dishwasher. I got to put the food that I had out away. I got to clean up. Why? Why, why do I have to do that? Because <laughs> my wife's coming home. And you know what she expects? She expects a clean house. She doesn't expect my shoes in the middle of the living room floor. She doesn't expect to have my cups on my seat next to my, you know, sofa where I sit to watch TV and watch the football games last night or the, you know, the bag of chips that's still on the sofa. No, she, she expects everything to be, to be cleaned up and cared for. She expects the toilet seat to be down when she gets into the bathroom. It's great when you live by yourself and you don't have to worry about that for a few days, but you know what? The queen is coming home, and I better make sure that everything is right. Well, you know what, folks? The king is coming back. The king is coming back at any moment. What are we doing to get ready for his return? Are we living like he wants us to live? Are we doing the things that he wants us to do? 
because I, I kind of know when my wife is coming back, so I had this time frame that I got to have it done by then with Jesus coming back. We, we don't know. It could be today. Could be in the next few days. We just don't know. So as you live for the king, because he's coming back soon, are you doing what you need to be doing as we prepare for his coming? Let's pray. God, thank you for being our king, for allowing us to be part of your kingdom. Because God, we have that wonderful hope. We have that wonderful belief that we will be with you one day forever and ever and ever. Thank you for that promise that we have. And just like Anthony shared, it, it's been a tough week. where We have lost people that we have loved. God, that makes me all the more anxious for heaven. And God, we know that you are coming back for us. So Lord, prepare. Prepare us to continue to live and serve you as our king. Give us the strength that we need to stand up against the influences of Satan and his kingdom. God, help us to make a difference. Thank you for what you're going to do in us as well as through us to impact this world. In Jesus' name, amen.